Jonathan, give me a pen. Yeah, chai boy, get in here. You'll never be a millionaire. <laughs> Slumdog millionaire ref. Blammo. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. The Contrarians is brought to you by Smarks Like Us Clothing and Avnio Films. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter at JamesAlexMattis and at Avnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Yes, this is the main theme from Star Wars Episode 3. Why, you might ask? It's simple. It's the best film in the franchise. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex and I am joined as always by my friend and co-host Julio. Julio, how are you doing today? I have to tell you, I'm a little lost. It's almost like I've forgotten how to do this because it's been so long since our last recording. Yes, I should just come right out and apologize myself for that. Very ill. Very, very ill for about three weeks now, and... It was just that, that Elizabethtown experience, it just really got to you. It, it exhausted me of all emotions and bodily functions, but, uh, yeah, especially, like, right when we were trying to get on a schedule every other week, we <laughs> we were starting to get in the click of things, but my illness has almost subsided, and we should be good to roll here. We're kicking things back off, I guess. It's almost been like a sabbatical, and we're going back to 2008 to visit the 2009 Best Picture winner and Danny Boyle... What would we call this? A pandering? Uh, you know, the people that like it uh, call it crowd-pleasing. Yeah, yeah, I, the word pandering is thrown around a lot, <laughs> especially by myself on this podcast, but I feel this definitely hits that. and uh, Almost lazy filmmaking here. I'm going to take it to another level and just call it what it is. Disrespectful and, in a way, condescending to, uh, I think, Indian culture. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start off with some people that actually like the movie, which is apparently most of America. But Amy Biancoli, in particular, from the Houston Chronicle, said, Slumdog Millionaire is not the cure for all the world's ills, but it comes close. It solves, for instance, such endemic global problems as A, sadness, B, lovelessness, C, cynicism, and D, the waning cultural relevance of who wants to be a millionaire. She thought that was really her masterpiece. After oh, she, she felt so that. clever after writing that. She didn't realize that 98% of the critics were going to go with the ABCD format for the reviews. Simon Miraudo from QuickFlix said, It even ends with a Bollywood-style musical number. I'd like to see those pouty kids in Twilight pull that off. I guess that's that's his standard. That's what you know. If the Twilight kids can't do it, then it's a good thing. Well, that 2008 was the year that Twilight started capturing the nation. Am I correct? Yeah, and this guy made it his mission to just compare everything to Twilight. Well, that's what cynics will do. Yep. Ali Gray from <laughs> from the Shiznit. <laughs> good lord. The Shiznit.co.uk said I didn't see it but <laughs> uh, Slumdog Millionaire is a film that's rich with character emotion and pathos with a supremely uplifting finale that will leave your head in the clouds it's the kind of movie that will significantly brighten your day unless you happen to be a female in India 
getting abused by all the males in your life. So, yep, they really liked it. So, yes, for episode 16, we are here today to speak of Slumdog Millionaire. Again, Academy Award Best Picture winner, but we'll get to all that later. Slumdog Millionaire begins with a question from director Danny Boyle. It asks, Jamal Malik is one question away from winning 20 million rubies. How did he do it? A, he cheated. B, he's lucky. C, he's a genius. D, it is written. Things don't look good for uh, old Jamal right off the bat, though, as he's being tortured and interrogated. The, the opening also answered a question that I didn't even know that I had asked, which was, is there different versions of uh, who wants to be a millionaire all across the world? And apparently there are, because there's one in India. For some reason, it makes perfect sense, but it never occurred to me. The, <laughs> either that, or I had my personal theory going on, which is that originally this was set in the U.S., and... Reaches so how how bad the script was, and he refused to be part of it. So this it, movie would have benefited greatly from a Regis Philbin performance. Did the entire time. If, if next time, if you guys actually make it through like another sitting of this movie, you decide to get, put yourself through it. Just picture Regis Philbin playing the part that you know that the Indian Regis plays in this one, and it's just it makes the movie so much better. A chaiwala. <laughs> We find out that Jamal is a T-boy, or a Chaiwala as they call him, for a cell phone company. We were having a bit of difficulty figuring yeah, this out. Yeah, it looks like the Verizon in India or something like that. He's being tortured on suspicion that he has cheated because, you know, I right away I got lost within the first ten minutes of this film because it feels like three different movies just smushed together. Now... This is all his life, right? We're not following different tracks here, are we? No, I'm pretty sure that after a while, it just becomes clear that that's that's just one person okay. that's had like all these adventures. It took me a while, but real time, where we begin, is he's at the final question, correct? It's the day before the final question? Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. No, I think, I think when we begin, real time is him being tortured. After it, he was it, taken it, in, the final question is yet to come. Right, because okay. when the movie finally catches up to the beginning, he they tell him, "Okay, you can go back to the show." Okay, and then so what sorry happens, for electrocuting you. You get to go back. <laughs> yeah, but they take they take their cheating really really seriously in India. No shit, they're like waterboarding <laughs> him and electrocuting him like in the first five minutes of the uh, film. Like, come on, guys, it's just a TV show. I, I know. mean, American Regis would never allow for this to happen, or so you think. That's true. We never maybe we're better at covering it up than than uh, the Indian who wants to be a millionaire. Considering how out of control. At least if this movie is to be believed, how out of control things are in India. It's kind of weird that they spend the resources to police, like, a game show. Yeah. You know? It's like, will you be putting things, you know, better use of, of all these torturers and uh, and the police, you know, even, like, the guy that's, like, running the investigation is somebody who, uh, you probably don't know his name, but you'll recognize him from other movies. Life uh, of Pi. Life of Pi. More recently, Jurassic World. If you put yourself through The Amazing Spider-Man, he's in it, too. He didn't come back for the sequel. Oh, he's in the first one? Yeah, he's in the first one. He's uh, he's one of, like, Osborne's lackeys. He kind of, like, disappears from the movie, too. But anyway, that guy, like, you know, that guy seems like a, a decent policeman. I mean, yeah, he's into torture, but he stops the torture at some point, mm-hmm. and then he has enough sense to, like, see what's going on at times. That guy should be on the street taking care of real crime. He shouldn't be, you know, figuring the, out if this guy's cheating. The sweaty chaiwaller, just, like, <laughs> worried about what he's doing here. Yeah. So basically what's happening through the series of torture is they're watching the replay of the show of the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Oh, VHS. Yes. And they're asking him, you know, how he knows the answer to each question. Fortunately for Jamal, his whole life has been a series of question answers. I guess. And also a very shitty, no pun intended, upbringing has led him to this moment. Yeah. That's where the disrespectful part comes where I just like this kid. There's no way around it. His life sucked. It's been terrible. 
and yet trivialize it as in like, well, it was it also happened to be a map to how to to win and how to uh, who wants to be a millionaire. You know, twenty years later, your mom died, but that's yeah. that's that helped you with okay. like question number three. <laughs> that's, that's just so weird. And on top of that, the fact that this is uh, I was gonna say an American movie, but it's not an American movie. I British. guess it's it's a British, mm-hmm. but still, you know, like it's basically a bunch of white people making a movie about India and just kind of showing you how horrible it is. But Shocking that that would win an Academy Award. <laughs> right. You know, you, there's just like the bit of condescension in it, you know, as in like, well, you know, you see how much it sucks. And so isn't it much better when you're like a white guy in England? And you're on an American show? <laughs> yeah. So it, it's terrible. He leads a really horrific life. Him and his, is it his real brother? Or is it just like... I believe they, so. Really? Salim. That makes it worse. <laughs> I thought they were just like buddies that were like really close and oh. and call each other brothers. Salim is in it to win it, you know, go big or go home, and he's oh, here man. for the ride. Salim, the unsung hero of this movie. Uh, we'll, we'll get to him. He- hero. Yeah. Okay. I'll get to it. So uh, the series of questions are such as like the name of a famous Bollywood actor, and we get this flashback to Jamal in a porta potty and having to jump through the bottom of it, covered in shit, to get his autograph so he remembers his name. And, you know, that's, I think, played for laughs. And then we immediately go into his mother being brutally murdered at the Bombay riots. Yes, uh, the total shift is just, it'll give you whiplash. It's just crazy. And it's it's just so nonsensical on one level. And then it gets really serious on another, you know, because you have this kid completely covered in, in like, it really is shit. Like, he dropped from a porta potty into this river of feces. Excrement. Yeah. And, and then he runs up to the, the actor, and the actor doesn't even, like, look twice. He just signs his photo. He just assumes that's just what all the children in the village are. <laughs> right, exactly. And then, yeah, the next flashback, I think, is, like, when his mom gets killed with, like, a, a bat to the head. Yeah. As they flee, uh, yeah, it's the Bombay riots. The question was the uh, religious. Yeah, figure. it's like, what's, uh, what's this religious figure what's were they holding on the right hand or something and because and he, of that he remembers and he explains he wish he didn't know the answer to that question during the fleeing though from the riots we get introduced to the the muse the flame of the film latika who right away i guess jamal is the most beautiful woman he's ever seen and immediately falls in love with her it's i mean these this, are kids they're, yeah they're... it's this uneven distribution of the film like a roller coaster that jolts you back and forth but in a very annoying way it's like silly Really fucking serious, sappy, really fucking serious, because it's not long before they're abducted by this madman who runs an orphanage. This madman who I dubbed. Oh, who did you think it look, he looked like? Oh, I don't know. His name was Mammon, so we can just call him Madman Mammon. That's probably easier than because I, I thought he looked like Michael Ian Black, so I called him Indian Michael Ian Black. Well, that's a good one. Indian MIB. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to shorten it, uh, he looks like that when we first meet him, and then when he comes back, obviously he looks like an older Michael Ian Black, but mm-hmm. also the guy that plays the dad in the OC, the guy with the eyebrows. He's in a uh, Sex Lies and Videotape. We'll remember like when the podcast is over, but it's like it's that guy, like a mixture of Michael Ian Black and that guy, somewhere in between. Yeah. So yeah, we go from like whimsical and you know kind of sappy romance to this guy who, like a real child abductor, lures him in with sweets with coke like coca-cola not cocaine but <laughs> they're too young for cocaine but yeah he just gives them coca-cola in the classic glass bottles not a can this is, which is weird because the movie that like, gets started say, in 2006 like mm-hmm. that's the first thing you see on the credits is like right before he gets slapped by the by the guard it just says india 2006 you know and yet i mean i guess i've never been to india but according to this movie they're way behind on you know they have the glass bottles and they have you know 
like I said, they were watching the game on VHS, and this is like the police station. <laughs> to be fair, I was watching films on VHS until my VCR shit out about three years ago, so... Right, but you in your case, you're just being like quirky. You're being like a hipster. Like, I, I, I do live in Austin. Yeah. Did he get abducted by the hipster police? They're just like when this movie's remade, and you know, five years, it'll take place in 2012, and they'll be watching it on DVD because you know they don't have a Blu-ray <laughs> right. player yet. The relevance of this is he's asked about a song and who sings a song, and Mummin, the guy who runs this orphanage, is obsessed with everyone singing this song. Well, it's not. It's, he's not just obsessed. He's using he, them, as right? Beggars. Right? Right? He's running auditions. Basically, he's making them. He's making them sing along, and you know, whoever ends up being the best singer, he's. I'm assuming, based on what we see later, he's just gonna use them on the street to sing and you know collect money. And if you can't sing, say goodbye to your eyes. Cause no, they... no, 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 no. If you can sing, you, you say goodbye to your eyes. That that was the thing. It's not. It's not enough that you can. You have a good voice. It's just that you also have to inspire pity. So oh, okay. you burn your eyes and and. So it's you, basically just following the American Idol. Model. Yes, okay. exactly. All right. Also, while they're at this orphanage, the kind of tension between Salim and Latika builds. Right off the bat, when we're introduced to Latika, Jamal is just you know taken by her. And the favorite childhood story of Salim and Jamal is the Three Musketeers, in which they call themselves Athos and Porthos. And Jamal, you know, being just taken aback by Latika, you know, he wants her to be the third musketeer. And Salim's just having none of it. So there's the jealousy that stems there, but then also Latika and, like, jackass of India, you know, finds these peppers and strips them and stuffs them onto um, Salim's crotch while he's sleeping. And he wakes up, you know, just in insurmountable pain and has to hose his willy off in front of all the kids in the orphanage. Yeah, that might be the one moment in which Latika is allowed to have some sort of... She doesn't have much more joy in her life. Yeah, yeah, or even like the chance to, to, you know, just do anything of her own will. You know, she this is the one moment where she takes action. She's active in this story because the rest of the time she's just having to be rescued. Yeah, you know, just being brutalized. It's pretty bad. But also, these are like really young kids. You know, at this point, I don't think there's they're anything... like seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing sexual going on. But there's still, you know, this movie's just telling you that there's a bromance, a non-sexual bromance going on between Salim and... Uh, well, I guess not, now that I know that they're brothers, that, that makes it even more fucked up. But anyway, he's jealous of the girl that's coming in between them, basically. So again, once Salim becomes aware, because he's kind of Mummin's chosen wrangler of children, so he's in charge of getting the kids to come out and audition to sing. And he becomes aware that, you know that they're being ethered and blinded by it just looks horrifying means like they heat up some kind of chemical and again it, it's 2006 you think that they have like a little something that was a little more i'm not gonna say gentle because they're still burning your eyes out but <laughs> but you know the, why does it have to be so barbaric it's, it's 2006 if you're gonna blind a child you can at least be nicer about it and so salim you know is told by Mummin to go get jamal and that's when he just starts freaking out about what's going on he finds jamal just chilling with Latika, and they're just goofing around. Summons him and brings him to Mummin, and Latika is, like, watching from afar. It looked like she found, like, a post or a tree to climb and watch. And Jamal begins singing. Isn't Salim summoned to, like, get the ether? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that out. that's, like, his... He was moving up in the, in the, in the ranks. He they were was... trying to teach him while he was young. Yeah. So he throws the ether back in the guard's eyes, and they just take off running. And fortunately for them, there's a runaway train leaving town. Perfectly uh, timed. <laughs> they hop aboard, like, the vagabonds that they are to become and Latika is running up and grabs Salim by the hand and you know it looks like Salim's going to do the noble thing but then he remembers that his dick's still on fire and lets go of her <laughs> hand lets her fall into a life of being pimped out see what I was saying like the hero of the movie Salim I mean he does 
a lot of reprehensible things. I mean, this is not even like this is just the tip of the iceberg when he just like drops her out of the train. But at the same time, he is the most interesting character in the movie. You know what I mean? Like I, I was just when I was watching. I mean, Jamal, he's just he's just like the good. He's kid. the wide-eyed. Right, know. right. But but you could argue, like in this instance and later on, that the only reason that Jamal makes it to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, like the only reason he's still alive, is because Salim has you know made the tough choices. Salim had to make the bad decisions. so yeah. Jamal could have a good life. Yeah, so it's kind of bullshit that he never you know he never gets props for that. The movie slowly but surely turns him into a villain, and I think that that's. It ignores all the good things that he did. There's a lot of bad things he's yet to do. <laughs> but they begin arguing, and you know Jamal's just like, "Why did you let her go?" And you know it's just your classic argument: women just becoming between bros, man. I'm telling you, it's like you think that it's just the two of them, and then they finish they finish their argument, and the camera pans. It's like a whole bunch of hobos. <laughs> yeah, it's it's this shot that's not has no contextual obligation to the rest of the film. But it kind of pans out. And it's like someone lit a lantern because all these like <laughs> yeah. hobos are just naked and watching them fight. All that's missing is just like the little like subtitle fading in that goes India, and then it goes away. <laughs> Vacation in India. <laughs> so this is where the movie turns into an eighties buddy comedy. As we get like this fifteen to twenty minute montage of them just hustling. We get MIA's uh, paper plane starts playing, and they're just on the grind. You know, cheating people out of money, stealing shit. It's not. A good representation of young men in India. Yeah, no, it's not. And I don't know if I think that Danny Boyle, I don't think that he was aware of the fact that he's making us ask the question, how far are we going to let these kids go? What are we going to let them get away with just because they're kids? It involves also just this ridiculous representation of the American or just not even American, just white, the white tourist. They're the most stupid <laughs> species on the planet, apparently. They completely lose their common sense when they're in India and they just get taken advantage of by these, what, eight-year-olds? They eventually have just been riding the rails or biding the rails, as it were, and they eventually get caught trying to steal what looks to be some pita bread and this Arabic man throws them off the train and they fall into the ground and as i was telling you when we were watching this there's like this one cinematic device that i really genuinely detest and it's when a character is young and they fall or there's like brush or <laughs> dust that comes up and when they arise from it they're older i genuinely detest that and we get that here as they're in their teens now and they look like they're in their pubescent years and fortunately for them, when they fell off the train, they wound up at the Taj Mahal. So, you know. <laughs> it, was, it took them a few years of rolling in the dust, but yes. eventually they made it to the <laughs> They just Mahal. didn't stop rolling until they <laughs> right. made it to the promised land. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to mention, before, before we do the time jump, and as a button to the, question, to the, to the thing about, you know, stupid American uh, tourists, but also, like, the condescension from these, like, white filmmakers, it's just that at some point, Jamal, you know, he's, he's – Pretending to be a, a tour guide, right? That's that's how he's like that's doing most of his hustling. Yeah. yeah, is it Taj Mahal? Mm -hmm. No, he's still a kid. When he gets beaten up, he tells the tourist, "Oh, you wanted to see a better side of India? You know, this is it." Because he's getting beaten up by a cop, and yeah. then the the couple like indignant goes like, "Well, let us show you a side of America." And they, and they give him a hundred dollar. They bill. give him a hundred dollar bill. Yeah, that's when he's at the Taj Mahal. Give he's like probably twelve or thirteen at this point, but Salim's like fifteen or sixteen. Oh, okay. Well, then so, that's that's perfect. Then yeah. So yeah, they start giving off phony tours at the Taj Mahal for a while and steal people's shoes because obviously due to religious reasons you're supposed to take your shoes off when you're there. And That's just telling you, okay, so now if I ever, if I ever go there, I'm not taking my shoes off because obviously they're getting stolen. Yeah. There's no there's no security. There's nobody looking. Self-guided tour if I ever go there. I'm not going to trust anyone. I'm not going to give them my money. Yeah, and, and no, but see, that's what I'm talking about. Like, like, why don't you have security there and you have people to spare to torture like 
the, the contestants of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. <laughs> One of the most sacred temples in the entire world. Yeah. And but, these kids are just like hustling money away. Yeah, no. Misallocation of resources, uh, part of the police force. And this is really an 80s montage. This is like a Rocky montage that should be about 45 seconds long, but it takes us about 20 minutes throughout the film. And like you're saying here, this is... Not funny stuff. These kids have nowhere to go, and so they're playing people for money, but this is all played for laughs. Right. There is the underlying thing that the movie does not acknowledge is that these kids are having a really hard existence. I mean, there's this sense that the movie is showing you, like, the bad stuff, but kind of, with, you know, with a wink. It's like, it's not that bad, guys. You know that you know that he grows up to be a new wants to be a millionaire. So it's really not that bad. That's, that's what Danny Boyle's whole idea was. He's like, we'll set the table with letting you know he's about to win 20 million rubies, but... You know, so it's not that bad. All that other it's, shit. That it, and the way it's shot, and the way it's scored with the happy music, and I mean, those kids, we should be like seeing their ribs because they're not eating. Yeah. You know, they're not getting enough money to to get by on a healthy lifestyle, and and yet they look pretty much okay through most of the. Especially now that they're getting older, you know, mm-hmm. they eat more, they start smelling. So the hustling continues when. Jamal is in a subway, it looks like, or just an underground track and runs into one of the children from the orphanage that had been blinded and has like a back and forth with him. And this poor kid, you know, is really struggling and his eyesight has been taken from him literally. But all Jamal cares about is where is Walatika. He's he saw her and he's gonna see it through to the end. You know? Yeah, he has his priorities. Uh, I don't know if it's straight, but at least he knows what his priorities are. Well, sometimes I was in college once and I I, I worked on a girl for about nine months. It, I put in the work and it paid off. So he During knows those what he's nine doing. months. You had no time for like blinded kids. Exactly. I was just like, all right, where's Lauren at? I need to find her. All right, I'll come back for you. <laughs> you can keep the hundred. That is, by the way, like you know, just to make an example, to, to give you an example of how the movie works. So he has that hundred dollars that the tourists gave him oh that's right and that's the question is what u.s statesman is on the front of the hundred dollar bill yeah and uh he doesn't know <laughs> because as sad as this is a lot of the u.s population probably doesn't know that benjamin franklin wasn't a fucking president that, that is the last question in the, in the american version <laughs> <laughs> but but here is like halfway through the game albert einstein <laughs> but no like jamal doesn't know but the kid the blind kid knows because i guess it's his business to know all the different bills like he takes the bill he smells it and he's like dollars and then you know then he tells him that that's benjamin franklin mm-hmm. and then of course years later that's how he knows the answer jamal learned none of this like on his own volition like he didn't just go out to the library and learn this like right no, it's no, no, just no. all really tragic shit that he learned this through really tragic stuff and and, and just knowledge that he absorbed almost casually like in the middle of like struggling for survival but then he keep we keep coming back to the show and danny boyle reminds you he's winning money though so it's okay it's so good it's so good there's there's you know once you get to the the studio seems clean like any other time that you see a shot of india it's like there's trash everywhere indian regis is really charismatic and likable he has a perfect head of hair amazing diamond earrings so jamal is able to find out where latika is and locate her and she's a virgin belly dancer for hire she's not being literally pimped out but uh she's not yet she's she's in the works she's still under the hand of mummin who just sends her out to belly dance and collect money for him jamal and samil break in on one particular patron who you know gets really pissed off and they begin to rob him which is weird because the guy doesn't react at all as these three little kids are just well they're not little kids but they're children still just robbing him and he's just like hey what's going on this isn't over yet and then mummin comes in with his hitman and that's when shit really gets crazy yeah uh somehow we didn't we were not shown this it's just it's just a big surprise when uh uh 
Salim pulls a gun out. Yeah. And then just that's when things get real. That's, you know. He's got it holstered in his belt like at the end of uh, Pulp Fiction when Travolta and <laughs> yeah. Samuel. But, you know, I mean, again, who did not fist pump when that happened? Because you think the kids are going to be at the mercy of Indian Michael Ian Black again. And and yet, like, Salim surprises you with the gun. And then you're like, fuck yeah. And, yeah, it's one of the more horrifying moments of the movie, but one of the only times we found ourselves being like, all right, I can roll with this. He pulls the gun out and fucking De Niro Godfather <laughs> 2 style wraps the pillow around it. And he points it at the head of Mummin and asks for his money and all this shit. And Mummin gives it to him. He's like, just go. And it's at this point, Salim remembers what Mummin told him years ago at the orphanage is that Mummin never forgets. And he says, you know, well, I think I can make an exception here. He says, I can't take that risk, Mummin, and puts a slug right in his brain. It's uh. 16-year-old at the oldest just capped this dude. Right, and this is where the no movie... No remorse. Yeah, oh, no, no, no. And, and the movie misses this chance of suddenly, you know, shifting gears completely and then following Salim for the rest of the movie. Because if there was any doubt before, there isn't now that he's hands down the most interesting character in the movie. At this point, yeah, it, Jamal's story, just I didn't give a single shit about it. I just right. wanted to see Salim's rise to, like, crime <laughs> prominence. Right. Yeah, I know. But instead, most of that happens off screen. We get it in footnotes. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, they escape. Even Michael Ian Black, he, they kill him, or Salim kills him, and then they run away. And then, just in case you were getting a little too happy, things get really dark again. Yeah, I guess they found, like, an abandoned hotel or something. Oh, is that what happened? I thought, because I looked away for a second, and I assumed that I just missed the part where they just used some of the money they'd taken to, like, actually check into a hotel. Oh, either that or just India is just full of just abandoned buildings. One of those abandoned buildings. Yeah. Again, further Danny Boyle. (laughs) So they check into this hotel and um, Salim's drinking. The kids can just get a hold of alcohol really easily. When you have a gun, I guess. (laughs) Give give me that schnapps, all right? Jamal is still just, all he wants to do is spend time with Latika. They're kind of catching up. During this time, Salim kind of disappears and finds, you know, he, I guess this crime ring or like this headquarters for some crime he's looking for a man named javed i guess they knew from before i mean not personally but he he was well known enough that they, they remember him eventually later they show a flashback from uh, when they were like much younger when they were little kids and they you know run into his car at some point mm-hmm. so he's been doing this for a while he's been yeah. a, a gang lord for a while so he looks for javed and he informs him that he killed Mumin and javed says any enemy of my enemy is a friend and kind of takes him under his wing and apparently builds him up pretty big because Salim returns to the hotel with a new attitude, pulls a fucking gun on his brother and tells him to leave him and Latika alone. Yeah, and, and then the movie was like, you know what? We're not going to show you what happens next <laughs> because that would make the movie like a little too harsh. But, okay, we're all adults here and this is extremely distasteful. But, you know, basically he kicks his brother out and then he rapes his brother's girlfriend. That's just what happens. But Latika is looking out for Jamal because he's going to give up his life for her, but she just tells him to leave as she's crying. And, uh, of course, all this is played because the question is, who invented the Colt 45. Right. And when Salim, Salim, yeah. When Salim is pointing the gun at, at his brother's Jamal, uh, he tells him, you know, this is a 45 Colt or yeah. whatever. So that's how he knew the answer later on. Again, everything's okay. Cause he's making <laughs> yeah, money. It's okay that you have this horrible memory of your, the girl you had a crush on being, you know, basically raped by your brother. Because, you know, you got that answer, right? And then we just kind of go into exile. We're separated for several years. And basically when the, past timeline again it felt like i was watching fucking three movies 
catches up. Jamal is where he's at now, the age he's at now, and he's working for this company and the big shows who wants to be a millionaire. And we're kind of catching up as to why all this is really relevant. Right. He's, he's working at the, the phone company. He looks like Dev Patel and he's, he's a few years away from being a M. Night Shyamalan's uh, last airbender. <laughs> Things did Whew. not go well for him for a while. He, he had his own dark period, but it's okay. Cause he made 20 million rupees. <laughs> yes. Uh, his resources here at the phone company, the call center, as it were, he's able to, he finds a free computer and he's looking up, Latika, but he all he knows is her first name. And good God Almighty, he gets about three million returns. Like I guess that's the does the Mary in in India? Yeah, like I guess so. I mean, he gets he gets a lot of of, of uh, hits also when he does uh, Salim. But I guess he knows Salim's middle name because he, he searches for Salim K. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and then he just starts calling. There's about a million results back. The first one's not him, but the second one is. I think it's the third one. Oh, the third one? Because yeah. we had to save time for the film. So <laughs> yeah. we had to spend more time on that fucking Taj Mahal montage. So he locates Salim, and he tries to play it off like, are you okay with your long-distance service? And he's like, Jamal, is that you? <laughs> he, how, how does he know? He doesn't sound like when he was a kid or a teenager or anything, but maybe they have that connection. You know, D, it is written. Oh, I, that's why. That's why. And, and, you know, I feel bad because... Again, I mean, yeah, I called him the hero, and he is still, in a way, it's just that the movie does not treat him well. There's a few things that a character can't recover from. Raping a woman, that is just, there's nothing you can do in a movie to, you know, make that go away. So, from the moment that they choose to have Salim, you know, kick Jamal out and and just abuse uh, Latka, then you screwed up his character. What's that movie about the Vietnam War with Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox? Uh, that is, that is, that is. It's not Courage Under Fire. <laughs> That's the first thing I was going to say. That's Meg Ryan and Lou Diamond Phillips. Is it uh, Tears something? No, maybe. Man, I've seen the whole thing a long time ago. Well, basically, I say that to validate your point. I, the scene where Sean Penn rapes that woman... Right. I was not okay with him in any movie for quite a while afterwards. <laughs> After it, it took a while. To, it was up. It, I think it was. In, it was up until The Secret Life of Walter Mitty that I wasn't okay wow. with Sean Penn. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I mean, there is a reason why Dev Patel and Frida Pinto went on to do other things, and the guy that played. Salim, he, he was done after he's this blacklisted. Movie. Yeah, <laughs> Danny Boyle paid him twenty million rupees though, so he's all right. They're like that asshole. But again, it's a shame because he he is he remains the most interesting character in the movie. So and and again, he's the guy that made the hard choices. What a shame. So they agree to meet, and they meet in this building that's under construction. And as soon as Jamal sees Salim, you know, Salim says, "God is great." And it's weird because there's nothing else like this in the movie, and this is just like from a filmmaking standpoint, a complaint. It goes into Jamal's imagination, and he just tackles Salim out of the building, and they just both fall to their death. It's the one, like... There's the no one... other part in yep. the movie where it's Jamal's imagination. It's like a five-second fantasy sequence. It's just ridiculous. Moving along. We learn that Salim's a bad dude. Like, it... he, he does bad things and works for some bad people. He still works for... Uh, Javed and basically tells Jamal like I run shit now. He gets a raw end of the deal in a way because you know Jamal looks like Dev Patel who went on to have a career and uh, Latika uh, is it Latika or Lakita? Latika. Yeah, Latika. He, she looks like Fria Pinto, so you know she's doing well. Salim looks like Michael Jackson, like from the early days. It, that's not. That's not going. Looks like it, off the wall, Michael Jackson. Yeah, in the in the mid two thousands, that's not a good look to have. But he's still like behaving like he's like the, the coolest guy around. I, I don't know. I mean, he he's overselling it, I guess. Salim takes Jamal to Javid's mansion, kind of shows him, and all Jamal wants to talk about still is Latika, and Salim's like, bro. 
Don't worry about it. It's just going to cause you a bunch of problems. And here at Javed's mansion, Jamal kind of lies his way into it. And we find that Latika is one of you know the many women that Javed keeps around. And it's like this long moment of embrace, which, you know, it's kind of nice. But then it basically just turns into her being like, hey, forget about me. And Jamal's like, I've worked my entire life for this moment. <laughs> There's also uh, the movie doesn't dwell on it. But there is this the, the hints we get at the backstory. Again, we're all adults. We can put it together. And that is pretty horrifying. So basically that night after kicking Jamal out, Salim forced Latika to have sex with him. And then at some point down the line, he just gave her to his employer. And now she's, I don't know if they're married, but she's basically this slave to this guy. And it's obvious that because she's super hot, there's no way that that guy's not also abusing her. It's it's really disturbing if you happen to stop and like think about it. But the movie won't let you because, you know, it just keeps moving really fast. To get in the house, Jamal posed as the new dishwasher, dishwasher and chef. And Javed is, you know, says, make something for me. So Latika helps him make a sandwich. He takes it out there and he spits it out and he says, what is this shit? Meanwhile, he's watching a cricket game, which brings us back to who wants to be a millionaire. When one of the questions is who's the highest scoring uh, a cricket player. I'm assuming they were asking about the scoring because I don't know anything about cricket. You don't know anything about cricket. No, unfortunately. We, we're just taking Danny Boyle at his word right now that that question made sense. I do know that according to Raphael in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, you have to know what a crumpet is before you can play cricket. Is that and, the... And then Casey Jones hits him in the face with a cricket bat. Okay, so that's not the animated one. No, 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 no. The 1990... The live action one? The classic. Yeah, like the first movie I ever saw that said damn in it, and it like freaked me <laughs> out. So the relevance of the cricket player is this is the big second before last question. If he gets this, he gets to get the big question. And Indian Regis is in the pisser with him, and you know, he's. Yeah, they have to take a break. Yeah. You know, for the sake of television drama. And Jamal's, I don't know it. I'm not going to be able to do it. And Indian Regis is like, I trust in you, kid. You're going to be able to do it. And he gives him the answer, or so we think. Right, He because he's washing his hands with really hot water. The water's so hot that he burns his hands. <laughs> Apparently, because it's enough to fog up the mirror. Yeah, yeah. And then on the mirror, he writes B. Because we know it's not cold in India. Because <laughs> everyone is sweating the entire fucking movie. No, they're not wearing any shirts. Although I guess that could be because they're poor. And then, But it's still, they're sweating. So he gives him the wrong answer here, and... The way he's able to figure that out, I guess, is he just kind of looks in his eyes and sees that he's being dishonest. He can tell, and and maybe that's that's where it's a good thing that they didn't cast Reaches for the movie because you would trust Reaches. <laughs> but again, if they'd cast Reaches, it would be. Can you imagine him playing that scene in the bathroom and then playing the thing where like he's he's looking at him and it, it would force Reaches Philbin to to find a new shade of performance within himself where he has to convey the fact that he's not being entirely honest. Maybe then this movie would be worth talking about almost ten years later. It would be like the movie that shot Reaches to movie stardom, not just TV stardom, but movie stardom. We'd be talking about Reaches' Oscars. And he would go on to he would have Christopher Plummer's role in Beginners. Yes, it, history is an entirely different timeline. Different timeline. <laughs> yeah. it's, the, it's the brightest timeline. We still go back to the timeline with Latika, where after the shitty sandwich, Javed kicks him out, and you know he says, "I want to protect you, Jamal, to Latika," and she just says, "You know, forget about me. This is it." And then he tells her that he'll wait for her every day, right? Yeah, he says every day at five. I think he's going to be at the at the train station. Which, okay, when he the says train it, station, in India. yes, when he says it, you're like you assume that. This makes sense. This is like the one spot. But then later on, when you see it, it's a huge... It's, it's, it's just epic. It's like an epic translation. So really, how would you even find him? Even yeah. if you were looking for him? 
But the first, I think it's the first day she goes there, and like she says, "Forget about me," but she's like, "Nah, fuck that." And so, the first day when he's waiting for her, she shows up, and I guess they're gonna run off together, and they have this really sweet eye contact moment. I don't know that they planned that far ahead. Really, because Jamal doesn't It's the end of the graduate. Me. They're just going to get together, and then they'll take it. Yeah, you have to keep in mind that by now, Jamal, is not he, he's not running around with Salim, so he doesn't have someone to protect him and to do the, the hard thinking for him. So I think he just said, hey, meet me there, and then once they met, he'll be like, well, um, you want to you wanna go get a soda? I don't know. He doesn't get to that, though. I know a guy who has some Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't get there because they lock eyes, and it's really sweet, but Jamal is kind of up on a perch, and he's able to see from a distance that Salim and all of Javed's men come and in a very ruthless way i think they could just tell her hey come with us or you're gonna die right. there's like 10 of him uh, 10 of them yeah take her and kind of just bound and gagger almost and carry her into a car and, and nobody does anything this no is, this is normal behavior <laughs> right this super populated but again you know this is a, a white filmmaker telling you hey this is how it is in india it sucks <laughs> And then they drag her into this getaway car, and just as Jamal gets to the window and says, Latika, Salim, for no rhyme or reason, just takes out a knife and just cuts her face up. Completely unnecessary. You did not need to do it that. had her already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The door was closed. They were, they were ready to go. There's nothing that... It's not like he put the, the knife to her face so that Jamal would stop. You know, it's yeah. like, hey, stop or I'll cut her. No, he just cut her. Salim was just, I think, teaching him both a lesson. Yeah, maybe. I think I have my own theory, which is that they realized... Uh, what? <laughs> I'm the captain now, Irish. <laughs> no, but my theory is that they realized, you know, a little too late into production, even though she has led probably the worst, most miserable existence out of the three of them, she's the one that looks the best. Oh, yeah. And so, okay, well, I guess we have to give her a scar somehow. But they already shot the first few scenes where she was she didn't have a scar, so they couldn't retroactively do it. So they had to cut her right there. Back to the show as Jamal sits there, and he actually uses one of his lifelines, the 50-50, to you know, take away two wrong answers. And it's down to B, which was the choice that Indian Regis had given him, or D, Jack Hobbs. And he just looks him dead in the eyes and says, D, Jack Hobbs. And I, Indian Regis is, like, trying to talk him out of it. He's being a little too obvious. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to choose B? It, it could be B. Because he admits that he doesn't know. Yeah. It could be B. No, it could be D. But it could be B. <laughs> he almost he's just, like, five seconds away from saying, remember what I wrote in the bathroom? Did you look in the mirror? And it all would have come crashing down. But he chooses D, and Jack Hobbs is the correct answer. And this is where Indian Regis is. He thinks he's cheating. Because he, he tried to fuck him out of the money, which isn't really explained either. It, For all the corruption and bad things that are explained in India, it's not explained why they don't want someone to win the show. Right, but it also doesn't make sense. How How is that logical? Okay, so he didn't cheat by taking the answer that you were giving him, so he's a cheater? <laughs> that yeah. doesn't make sense at all. It's really, again, another example of a scene where I would have loved to see the real Regis Philbin play, because after he gets the right answer... He does like this little dance. He gets up from his chair and does the dance. He's like, hey, man, you won and whatever. You know, and it, it, that would have been awesome to see. Uh, and then he calls for like the police to take him away. Yeah. And they, he leads him outside and they put like a blanket over his head and like take him away beating him. Yeah, it's not even a regular arrest. They have to do it like an abduction. <laughs> it's not like they wanted to keep it a secret that they were arresting him. That's why you put bags on people's heads so they don't see where you're going. But they're taking him to the police station. 
unless all this interrogation is happening in a dungeon somewhere, why wouldn't you let him see what's going on? And this was the part where I really thought, like, you've brought up some valid points about Regis actually being in the movie. This would have been the best, because the producer of the show is like, what's wrong? And he says he cheated. It doesn't matter. It's my show. It's my fucking show! And just Regis smoking a cigarette. It's my fucking show! That would have been amazing. That would have been the Oscar clip. It's my bleeping show. Wasted opportunity. The interrogation has kind of reached its end. Homeboy from Life of Pi says to Jamal, it's bizarrely plausible, all these things you're telling me. Yeah, it, it's funny, his role in this movie, because really, he doesn't get much to do. He it's exactly his role in Life of Pi. <laughs> He keeps coming back to like remind you of what the plot is. Yeah. They've shown him to be a good listener and a good I guess, storyteller. A, a storyteller. He explains things. He catches up on your plot. That makes sense. He could be the only likable character in the movie, too, because he does nothing wrong. No, at the beginning, he, he electrocutes him. No, he doesn't. He just tells someone else to do it. Uh, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Throughout the movie, you know, when we cut his reaction to some of the answers he tells, you can tell at some point when, when they shot, you know, they cut the shots of him, that he kind of regrets getting into this train. <laughs> Because the story gets really grim at some point where he's talking about the kid that got his eyes burned out. Or yeah. He's talking about the first time they abandoned Latika or the second time that he, he was kicked out and lost her. When they would cut to Life of Pi Guy, he's in there. You can, you can tell that he's suffering. He's like, so what happened next? Yeah, it's kind of the thing of like, you know, you keep poking fun at someone and they tell you, oh, yeah, I had to watch my mother be clubbed to death and drowned. <laughs> exactly. He's like, oh. Exactly. Uh, well, sorry about the electrocution. Um, yeah, I want some tea. <laughs> I guess you can go back. Yeah, I, I think that's that's partly why he lets him go out of guilt. Of, you know, he put him through a lot, and this kid is obviously not some sort of criminal. Or maybe he realized that he could have been doing better things with his time. Well, through this story, he realizes there's this corruption running rampant through India, <laughs> and he's been wasting his time here with this kid. It is also during this that we learn probably the most important of all facts in that Jamal doesn't even really care about the money. He did the show. He signed up to be a p- possible contestant. Because he knows Latika would be watching. Right. He doesn't know where she is anymore. Yeah. But he knows that she likes this kind of television and that he knows that she would be watching. Well, not just her. I think that they established in that last third of the movie that everybody watches Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on, on TV. Because they're watching it at work. They're watching it at the gangster's house when he goes to see her. So, And then when he's allowed to finish the show and go back for the final question, you would have thought it the fucking Super Bowl, the World Series, the Grammys, and WrestleMania all on one day. The entire nation has come out to watch this. But does it surprise you? Because of the way they've painted India, wouldn't you, wouldn't you oh, see... Oh, yeah, it's like this shitty country, but one of ours is going to win something. Right, that is amazing. Yeah, stop the presses, and we're going to watch TV all together for one hour. There's the thing I kept thinking is like they saved the 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 last question for the next show, right? That's they, they did th- that with actual like the American really? who wants to be a millionaire. Okay, yeah. so what? Because you, your show is around an hour, one hour. What do you do after he wins? Do you just move on to the next contestant? I was ratings. Like, can you imagine like watching that? Like, fucking John Q. Hillbilly is about to win a million dollars. Like, oh, we'll be back tomorrow. Like, right? Fuck, I gotta watch it now. Okay, but I still want to know what happens after they win. You still have like 40 minutes of show that you have to fill up. There's fucking YouTube for that, man. Go back and watch it. It That show did fucking killer ratings, man. I don't know about in India. I don't know how they tabulate that. (laughs) This is the real vindication scene of the film, though, as it's the final night for the question, the $20 million rupee question. Salim and Latika are watching at Javed's big compound, and Salim finally like redeems himself for all the bad things he's done, and he gives... Latika, his car keys and his cell phone, and says, go to him. I, I don't think that he gave him... I think the cell phone was in the car. Or did he actually give her the he cell phone? He gave it to her. Oh, okay. Well, still, even when you put that together... 
compared to what what he's done to her, I think he's falling a little short. Oh, absolutely. The movie portrays it as him redeeming himself. Yes. But he still has a long way to go. He's got, like, a couple churches to build. <laughs> yes. And a bunch of broken fences to mend. Yes. There's that girl's going to be going to therapy for decades. And and, and there's no telling of... how many people he's killed. <laughs> that too. <laughs> so Salim, I think in his own mind, though, he did one good thing. And he knows this one good thing is going to lead to his death so he can die with a semi-clear conscience. Yeah, but it also – I didn't buy that, that turn because he's been pretty hardcore about keeping her there. And what, Basically, are we supposed to believe that watching Jamal get all this way – all the way through and who wants to be a millionaire, that's the one thing that made him realize that maybe he was not doing you – know, he wasn't doing well by his brother and the girl that he likes? That's what it took? That's kind of bullshit. You would think putting a gun in your brother's face might be a different story. <laughs> yeah. But Latika, of course, takes off after him. She eventually, like, traffic is just at a standstill because people are just out in the road, like, in the windows of all the pawn shops and Best Buys, just watching the televisions. So she just gets off and takes off and runs and just finds a, an arid TV to watch. The final question for 20 million rupees is about the three musketeers, which immediately... Jamal kind of breaks out in laughter about, they said, the first two musketeers are Athos and Porthos. What is the third? And he has no idea. I guess he never really read the book. He uh, he just heard about it in class. He just kind of skimmed through it. Well, it's not because he never they never had a third musketeer, so I guess that's why. You know, they just they were, there were just two of them. So if Salim why. had just fucking accepted Latika yeah. earlier in the film, we wouldn't be in this situation. Yep. So he decides to use his final lifeline, which is to call a friend, and the only telephone number he knows is Salim. So he begins calling it, and it's ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. And Indian Regis is like, "Hey, where's your brother?" Really, uh, the question he he doesn't know the backstory, but the question that we the viewers are asking is, "Why are you calling him?" Because it doesn't matter. The last time you saw this guy, he was cutting your girlfriend's face why would you call him that what makes you think or is it that jamal like the movie i guess believes in the unifying power of who wants to be a millionaire <laughs> and that that it doesn't matter what happened before this just the fact that i'm calling from who wants to be a millionaire is enough to make salim take my call and help me out and just you know completely erase the past 15 years exactly yeah you know he's not answering, and then at this point, Latika realizes, oh, fuck, I have his phone, but I left it in the car, so she runs back to it and answers it, much to the delight of the crowd watching, but she doesn't know. Is it just an American thing that, you know, living in America, it just, it never even crossed my mind to leave my phone in the car. Was it, was that a 2006 thing? I don't remember. For, as long as I can remember when I had a cell phone, I've always had it on me. Why wouldn't you have it on you? Well, Latika never had one, so she just... She just doesn't know how it works. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you just leave it in the backseat. It's just a crazy machine that talks sometimes. Uh, yeah. So she answers, says she doesn't know, but she's safe, and this is apparently worth more than 20 million rupees for Jamal, because he looks just absolutely at peace. And he just decides to guess, and he picks A, Aramis. And goddammit, wouldn't you know it, that's the right answer. It is written. D, it is written. He wins. Indian Regis, you know, is going nuts. The whole country just begins going ape shit like they won the World Cup. During all this, it, Salim had locked himself in Javed's bathroom, filled a bathtub full of money, laid in it, and just had his gun drawn because he knew what was coming. As soon as Latika answered the phone, Javed, you know, threw whatever hooker was on him off, and he pieced the things together quick. So they barge in. And Salim shot him, right? Right. Salim shoots the first person going Javed. in, which is Javed, which is kind of a dumb move. If you're if you're a gangster, you have henchmen. Why don't you send those guys in first? If you're the kingpin, throw in like you know Operation Human Shield, right? Like. But this movie just contrives to give you some sort of happy ending. So of course, Salim gets to kill that guy, and then he gets shot by because because he deserved to get shot. There's no way the movie would allow him to live after everything that he had done. Yeah. 
But that is such a cheap way of making things better. It is because he gets to hear that Latika and his brother are okay, and that his brother wins the prize. But then he gets shot and dies, and his last words are "God is great." And it's like, homeboy, you ain't gonna see God anytime <laughs> soon. I'm glad you made peace with yourself, but get ready for an eternity of hell. After all this, and after winning 20 million rupees and being granted a big fucking like PGA playoff check for 20 million, Jamal takes it, and but then he immediately just goes to the train station and he's fucking pouting like he's had a shitty day. He had Latika on the phone. He could have asked her where to meet later. Or, or giving her his number or something. But instead, it was just like, hey, good luck. But fortunately for him, she was at the same train station waiting for him. So she's there looking around, and then he kind of gets up, and he stops pouting and sees her and runs across. And like I was telling you, the whole time I was just worried about a Meet Joe Black moment where a train was just going <laughs> to run him over. But they get together, and they embrace, and he looks at her scar, and they look at each other. She is happy, and he says, this is our destiny. And she says, kiss me, and they kiss, and it freezes. And then we get the answer to the question from the beginning of the movie, which is D, it is written. It is written, and now we must dance. And now we must dance as the film concludes with a Bollywood number that makes no fucking goddamn sense at all. It makes sense, (laughs) but it doesn't make sense. It makes sense in the most surface level, which is how this movie has been playing the entire time. Yes. Hey, what do you know about India? Uh, There's a lot of uh, shirtless kids. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of trash. Oh, and they, they like to dance. fucking love who wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> yes. And they like dancing. Yeah. T-shirts, T-shirts, T-shirts. Hundreds of thousands of wrestling T-shirts, all for you to buy. Starring all of your favorite wrestlers. Daniel Bryan, Bret Hart goes to Montreal, some dead guy, the Blackjacks, Mulligan and Lanza, not Wyndham and Bradshaw. Wrestling! SmartsLikeUs.com. 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 Selling you wrestling T-shirts. Also available, buttons, stickers, and kitty cats. Meow. And I'll take offense. Every single person shows up there except for Salim. Even the child actor that plays Salim. Yeah, they, they don't allow him to be there in any sort of way. When they show the kids dancing, it's just uh, Jamal and, uh, and Latika, but no Salim. He carried the movie. Fucking Dark Knight came out the same year. And this <laughs> shit won Best Picture. That's true. Because, you know, life is so hard in America. And Danny Boyle wanted to remind us that it's a lot worse everywhere else. <laughs> So he had the nerve to just – it really it really is like propaganda for, for American complacency, I guess. Hey, guys, you think you think you have it bad? Don't worry. Let me show you. After this movie, you're going to feel so good about your life. And then a few months later, Revolutionary Road came out. And we're like, fuck, white people fucking suck. <laughs> white people are a lot more unhappy inside. <laughs> They're not living on the streets, but they, they really hate each other and themselves. It's just so manipulative. And again – I just wonder how, how – if you're Indian, if you live in India, how do you feel about this movie, about the way this movie portrays your country and your countrymen and about the fact that it was not an Indian filmmaker making it? Tell me. I'm asking you because you're an Indian living in India. Jai Ho! <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's, that's, I guess maybe, the, maybe the, the Bollywood dance number at the end, it's, it's a means to appease the Indian audience. Oh, uh, it is. So, Slumdog Millionaire was released on November 12th, 2008, at a budget of $15 million, and a box office of $377.9 million. It was directed by Danny Boyle. It was based on Q&A, a novel by Vikas Swarup. Forgive me for any pronunciation. As we mentioned numerous times in the previous segment, it won the Academy Award for Best Picture, in the year of 2009, but not only that, won Best Director for Danny Boyle, Best Adapted Screenplay, 
best cinematography, best editing, best original score, best original song for Jai Ho, best sound editing, and best sound mixing. It won for everything it was nominated. It won at life, like kids like to say these days. It did. Do your quotes, because I'm ready to get into this movie. <laughs> uh, all right. So we have Fernando F. Croce from Cinepassion. He says, shows how a critic-pleasing film can be every bit as overbearing as a crowd-pleasing one. I think you can agree with that. All right. Jonathan Romney from Independent on Sunday said, Boyle set out to make this particular film rather than a gritty social panorama along the lines of Brazilian favela drama City of God. But keeping us cheerful takes the edge off the tougher insights into India. And finally, Walter Chaw from Film Freak Central said, Like every non-nutritious piffle, hastily consumed, the guilty reflection will come in the long hours after. So, I kind of agree with that, where maybe the movie will trick you into feeling really good about it, and then later, late at night, when you can't sleep, <laughs> and you start thinking... Oh god, that girl! She was just abused for the entire movie, and we never really saw it. And, and you know, then you feel guilty about it. Yes, and also it stands at ninety-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So one of the, I don't know, we did a lot of high movies, but I don't know if it's the highest. I think we did a ninety-six percent at some point. No, yeah, it's not the highest, but it's the most undeservingly high. <laughs> Uh, this movie I said immediately when it was over when we were watching it uh, I have the same fucking reaction every time I've seen it it's probably the fourth or fifth time I've seen it it's good it's not that good yeah uh, yeah. I think we need to get that out of the way first it is good it's competently made mm -hmm. Danny Boyle is not uh, uh, he's a good filmmaker well well directed well acted um, and and it has a here's, here's what I was thinking as we were watching it and I was having a pretty good time was that If this movie hadn't won all the awards that it did, we probably would think more fondly of it. I don't even know if it's that. I think it's a lot of what I was telling you was if it hadn't won all it did in the year it did. Because 2008 was the fucking – I'm trying to think of like uh, something that won't make me sound like a fucking frat boy because I was going to say the tits. But like <laughs> it was I think the best year for film since the 2000s have begun. I don't I, – I'm not familiar enough with the – the yearly filmographies Dude, of the world. But so like, I know, right, but... Dark Knight, Wally, -E, Tropic Thunder, uh I'd love Revolutionary Roads, so that was that year. The Wrestler, um Max Payne. Uh, <laughs> and depending on who you talk to, this was the year that also caused the oh fuck. And also some people say it was exclusively Dark Knight that caused the well we gotta have more nominees for Best Picture because you know well, it's these, not a bad thing though. But uh, seriously like And then, uh, oh, Man on Wire was great. You love Benjamin Button. Like, Fuck yeah. So Slumdog was up against Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, Milk, and The Reader. And none of those movies would fall in the category of, that I was talking about <laughs> amazing films. But still, even that's kind of loaded. The, I have never the reader, seen... The Reader's a shit film, but it's, those other four uh, are good. It's, uh, maybe one day we'll do The Reader. I think I need to watch it again before I actually put my neck out for it. Um, <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> I, I, just, I, have I think you were just Kate... too smitten with Kate Winslet. Yeah, Kate naked. Winslet. It was just too much. I never saw Frost Nixon. Out of all those, that's the only one that I haven't seen. And uh, I probably should. But I remember just rooting for uh, Benjamin Button the entire time that, that year, and it just got nothing. Uh, our friend Eddie always talks about um, when King Speed won Best Picture. I remember him telling me, 
yeah, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we'll still be talking about the social network. We're not going to be talking about King's Speech. And that's the kind of thing. That's The Academy Awards are always just of the most... I mean, fucking goddamn Shakespeare and Love won Best Picture. <laughs> and who the hell still talks about this? I, I bring it up from time to time. I was like, hey, remember Shakespeare and Love? Remember, <laughs> remember how it won Best Picture? <laughs> <laughs> the only real complaint I can have outside of things you're bringing up, I detest the the Bollywood thing at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so tell me exactly why. You want to talk about pandering. <laughs> it's one of those things, it, I get why, I 1,000% understand why it was put in there. Right. To give it kind of the fun Bollywood feel, to pander to the hometown audience, like the home field, and also to end with like, when people watch and be like, oh, that was kind of an artsy thing to do. But it derails the entire ending of the film. I, I think that's where I disagree with you. I think that <laughs> I I think what's more crowd pleasing and this movie's crowd pleasing from beginning to end, but what's more crowd pleasing to the big dance number where everybody's happy and the the bad guy, you know, Salim is not in it. That is it's just it's just the epitome of what the movie's been telling you the entire time. Just hey, be happy. Just <laughs> dance. He won twenty million rupees. Uh, it, it's it's all good. I I think that it makes sense in the progression of the movie. You know, okay. it, it ends with with them almost. Do they freeze frame after the kids? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Okay, come on D, now. It is written. <laughs> yeah, freeze freeze frame. It is written, and now let's dance. It, it makes sense. It's and honestly, I remember when I was watching it. Obviously, I was not expecting it the first time, mm-hmm. and I laughed so hard with not 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 laughing at the movie. But I guess it was this sort of like joyous reaction at how nonsensical it was all. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, of course. I, be- I remember my reaction was it killed the ending of the movie for me because I thought the ending was perfect, and then that happened, and I was just like, really? Uh, and even was- then, like, I got why they were doing it, but it just it hurts it to me. I don't know. Uh, I mean, if you get. But that's the last thing that's left in your mind, and that's the last thing you're thinking about. It's it, like- you'll talk about it. It's like, oh, they were dancing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I. I think actually, if you think about it a little more, that's when it gets problematic, in the sense of uh, uh, I don't know. Again, that so much of this movie. Sometimes I try not to think about it because I really am not an authority on India or Indian films or Indian filmmaking. So it's just this feeling I get from whatever I've seen so far. But it almost feels like what we've been talking about. You know, some white dude trying to make a version of an Indian movie, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, so when you look at it through those lenses, maybe it gets a little problematic because maybe it's a little uh, – some people could take offense to the fact that, oh, yeah, on top of everything now you feel that, oh, it's an Indian movie, so you need to have a dance number somewhere, so we'll just put it at the end. Yeah. But but again, I choose not to think about it, <laughs> and then I just I just enjoy the dancing. Fair enough. Uh, it, it clearly is a very whitewashed film, and it's – no wonder that it did like killer the UK and America. Like those would be the two places where it's really. <laughs> but I don't know what is what is the reaction in in India to this movie. I mean, we don't know. No, maybe we could use the internet to find out, but we won't. Uh, I, I mean, there are Indian actors in it, mm-hmm. which obviously well, we're okay with it. Dev Patel is actually British, but the other guys. Oh, he's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's. There's a lot more people than Dev Patel in there. Uh, what's Frida Pinto? Is she hot? Besides that, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I know I've seen her in something else recently. Besides Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I allow for it made thirty five million in India, so it did pretty well over there. Eh. It trailed uh, 
Spider-Man 3 and Casino Royale <laughs> in terms of Fox films. <laughs> I don't know. This is one of those cases where I will allow that the, the reality of the world could be completely different. And maybe maybe it is – maybe it reads like a love letter to India could if be. you're Indian. I, I really can't speak of it as a Peruvian living in America. I certainly <laughs> have absolutely no clue. And honestly, if somebody made a movie, if Slumdog Millionaire was set in Peru – the entire story, nothing changes in Peru. I would probably just laugh my ass off. And I don't know that I would be flattered, but I would be – I would just be amused <laughs> because I would just – people, it's not a documentary and they can do whatever they want. Uh, so maybe that's that's the stance that an Indian uh, citizen takes. I don't know. Uh, just to correct my initial statement, that was uh, – it's $35 million in its opening weekend in India. And then after its success at the Academy Awards, <laughs> its Indian business increased 470%. And that week after the Oscars, it brought in $6.3 million and made a total of $230 million. Okay, so then they, they do like it. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, well, that's fine. I mean, you can like something and still be offended by it. Yeah, but exactly. it's all right. I'm making money out of it. I don't know. Yeah, fucking Adam Sandler movies. Oh, perfect example. Yes. Uh, yeah, so it's – I don't know. I, say, I feel like we say this a lot because we've kind of – we're doing movies that kind of come – to the top of the head. When more we get into this, we're going to have to really dig for deep tracks. But I always say, like, oh, it's an interesting movie we did. And this one is certainly that way because of its stagnant reputation and that just it happened then, it was really good then, and it was recognized as such. But it's not a movie you hear people talk about like an all-time classic. No, I think that there might be people that watched it and, and, and they really like it. And uh, I bet you most of those people don't remember that Salim rapes uh, Latika. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's been a few years since we've seen it, and uh, our friend and listener Elena loves and lives and dies by this movie. And I would be interested to talk to her about that now because <laughs> I had forgotten a bit about that. Well, yeah, I mean, even my my girlfriend, like when I was telling her uh, that we we're recording a new episode, finally, I'm like, finally, he he he's back, he resurrected. <laughs> uh, she's she is like, what what movie are you guys watching? And I said, Some of the Millionaire. And she said, well, you better say nice things about it. I was like, I can't really promise you that because I haven't seen it in forever. Uh, but but she loves it. And I know a lot of people that love it. Uh, it's crowd-pleasing. It's crowd-pleasing. It makes you feel good. But I think that if you start thinking too much about it, then maybe it, it doesn't. That can be said for a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you think part of it's kind of – it hasn't necessarily been erased by history. But all that ranting I was doing at the beginning of this, like – do you think that's hurt its legacy is that it came out in a year that was so fucking like stacked? Uh, I don't know because honestly, I don't know how many people keep track of like – I remember it being uh, what I felt was an unfair winner at the awards. Uh, but at the same time, I couldn't even remember which movies he was up against. You know that, what I mean? I, I, I'm not like, oh, it beat this and this and this. I just remember it won and it didn't deserve to win because there was so much better stuff out there. Uh that was a really weird year, too, because there was so much backlash because Mickey Rourke didn't win and Sean Penn did. Right. But I think I've told you the story. My friend was rooting for uh, Mickey Rourke, and then Sean Penn won, and he was just so pissed. And then he watched Milk, and he was like, okay, uh, that, that, that no, makes sense. No, it's really good. Like, just absolute sidebar. The thing with that is Sean Penn will probably be nominated for an Oscar again in his lifetime. Mickey Rourke <laughs> will never be, so he should have won. <laughs> He's, I don't know, he's still, in, he's still holding well, he's, on to the comeback train, as they but say. But the whole story of that film, like, it, that movie was also the story of Mickey Rourke. So right. It's, like, you, it's more like, if he didn't win for that, then he's never going to win. Yeah. It's more like it. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think, I don't know if you agree with, it'll just kind of stand as 
stagnated in time. This movie that came out then that was really liked then, but it's yeah, like- I think so. And, and I go back to what I said at the beginning, which is that if it hadn't, if it didn't have all this critical acclaim as far as the awards and all the stuff, maybe it would be a more interesting movie to watch or a movie that you you wouldn't, you know, if it didn't come with all that baggage. Yeah. Because again, while we were watching, I'm like, this is not bad. This is good. This is something that maybe I would show to people. Hey, you might like this. It's it's fast paced. It has some really funny stuff. It has some cool. I really like the dynamic between Jamal and Salim, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the the gimmick of oh well, his destiny was to win. Who wants to be a millionaire? It's kind of silly, but it's also entertaining the way that they tie in all the answers to his life. All that stuff is good. It's it's just when you start adding the superlatives and you go, this was the best movie of 2008. Yeah. That's when it gets problematic. That's when it, you just have to start saying, okay, you know what? I don't really like it that much. And then you get into a conversation that really detracts from the movie. And it's like, um, especially comparatively speaking to just some of the things we've done and had to like bash, quote unquote, like Rocky and the other great movies we've done. This isn't a movie you watch and necessarily say, uh, okay, I get why this is like like was the shit at the time and the bee's knees and all that like uh it's just good and i i don't it's better than cute i was about to say cute (laughs) but it's better than cute it's just it's not one of those like all-time greats or anything yeah what's what's your your run tomato score it's really good it's like and that's the thing like i can't argue with it being ranked an a it's just like so you give it like in you'd be in the 90s yeah because really wow that's a what it is it's like almost perfectly made and what it is is a an appeasing crowd pleasing pandering which pandering always has like a really negative connotation but like i'm not trying to use it in a negative context the problem is it's just like an a put up against like all these other a plus plus pluses that it's like okay see i, I didn't grow up here so i don't think in letters i think in like numbers <laughs> so to me 90 in colors sense <laughs> 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 Uh, no, ninety percent and up to me. The movie has to actually be trying to say something that I really connect with, and that is probably the biggest failure for this movie. And not a failure, but it's just something that leaves me wanting more. And that it, what is the movie telling you in the end? Yeah, there's not a deeper message. There's not. It's not taking a stance on anything. It's just telling him. It's just telling you it was his destiny, and then it happened. Yeah. So, eh, to me, that's eighties. Well executed. That's like a high eighties. Yeah, I guess that's fair. So what would you call that? Like a B plus? High eighties? Yeah. Yeah, that's a B plus here. Yeah, there you go. Here in America. I'll figure it out. Here's some good old American <laughs> American grading. Here's a hundred dollar bill. Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> uh yeah, it's and that's a good point too. it's very bottled in that it starts and it ends and like you're not changed by anything afterwards and it's just Right, that is true. But our protagonist, I mean, Jamal doesn't have a character arc. He's mm-hmm. pretty much the same person from the beginning to the end. He doesn't really have to sacrifice anything. Uh, maybe if he had been a stronger believer in, well, no, I guess he's a stronger believer in destiny the entire time. Because you know, you could argue that they could have made a bigger deal of the fact that at the very end he just goes with it. He he takes a chance and and. Makes a guess. Yeah. If if maybe every single question before that he had been completely sure of the answer, but that's not the case because the question right before the final is the one where he uh, he takes a chance. Yeah. So uh, that yeah. would have made more sense for the last question to be destiny. Right, but that, yeah. that doesn't. Um, and like I said, just kind of wrapping this up here, the most famous shot from the entire film, the one 
of him when he sees Latika. They keep going back to it throughout the entire course of the film, where she meets him at the train station. And it's daylight, and like every like the sun's just hitting her right. That I'll post a screen cap of it on Twitter, but or whatever. But <laughs> that is like literally to me one of the most memorable and one of my favorite shots ever in a movie ever, just because it's like. That could have been the worst movie in the world, but I would have liked it if it had that particular shot in it. Like that is really there's a lot of like really good stuff in there. Like visually, it, there's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, so you're in the '90s, I'm in the high '80s. So we liked it. We liked it, even though we spend <laughs> most of the time talking shit about. It's it. weird. It's like good, not great, but still really good. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, you can't argue against. Dark Knight is still better. Entertaining. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's. I mean, Dark Knight's exploring a lot more uh, deeper stuff doesn't matter it, it, it's like I, I tell everybody i don't think dark knight's the greatest movie of all time but if someone else does i'm not going to argue with them that's my stance on it yeah um uh, what are we going to do next i don't uh, know do we decide on anything no i sent you a few screen caps you see uh I, I was really hoping to get a reaction out of my screen cap from uh, uh take me home tonight yes uh, yeah I, I meant to respond but i was too busy fucking dying yeah uh Let's just go ahead and agree on air to do that. Uh, all right. Is that yeah. episode 17, then? That would be episode 17. So for episode 17, Julio and I will be covering the 2011? I don't know. Man, that movie has been forgotten by existence. Unfortunately. <laughs> I know. It, it's it's such a shame. This but... is going to be fun, because you and me both genuinely like that movie. Yes. And yeah. the, the Topher Grace, not even vehicle, because it was like... <laughs> 12 years after he was supposed to be something. Um, it was more like his rehab movie after, uh, <laughs> but it's after got, Spider-Man 3 and I don't know what else. Fucking Michael Bain is in it as his dad. And and uh, one of our favorites, uh, Dan Fogler, is in it. It's <laughs> playing the quintessential Dan Fogler role. It's still a great movie despite his involvement. So that'll be episode 17, Take Me Home Tonight. Um, here on our way out, it's been a while since we've done this, so I'm trying to remember all we got to do. Uh, well, we plug ourselves, and then we plug... That sounds horrible. Uh, <laughs> but we we do our plugs, and then we plug somebody else, or we plug somebody else, and then... That still sounds so bad. Do you have anybody that you want to uh, give a shout-out to? Uh, yeah. John Golson has the Slam Masters podcast, which is available at guttersandpanels.com, and also they're available on iTunes. That's the Slam Masters podcast. They cover Inspire Pro Wrestling, which is an Austin-based independent wrestling company. Which is pretty solid. I don't like a few of the people that run it, but that's neither here nor there. The podcast is entertaining. He gave me a name drop on the last one, a shout out, so I appreciate that. So go ahead and check that out if you're a wrestling fan. Even if not, just it's a local piece of Austin culture to soak up, so be sure to check How that out. How did he name drop you? Did you say that guy, Alex Mattis? He said, he said Alex Mattis, and then he talked about something that I screamed at someone during a match. So. <laughs> uh, well, I'll give you two facts about John Golson uh, one that you know, and one that you probably don't. The one you know is that I worked with him for at least a year. <laughs> the one that you might not know is that he does the voice of God in the web show I used to do. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, he's the voice of God. Uh, he was only in a couple episodes. I, I recorded all his lines like on one night, and then we just spread those lines throughout the series. <laughs> and then I told him, hey, because uh, he did it for free. He's an actual, like, he's an actor so he does do like acting yeah. he gets paid for it i i told him okay i'll he did it for free but i told him i would just take him out to dinner but that day when he came over to the recording he already ate he already eaten and uh so i said okay i'll take you to a movie one of these days and and for a little while for a couple months we just we just go back and forth like, hey do you want to watch this and he was like no not really or or our schedules been matched and eventually that died down so i still owe john golson a movie Ooh. we'll do it someday I, I i'm not gonna i don't have anybody to plug that i can think of right now but uh let me tell you this last couple days i discovered battle bots 
and it's amazing. I know now how you feel when you watch wrestling. <laughs> I, it, you know, you, you're familiar with the concept of BattleBots. Yeah, that's like an old show. Right, but they just relaunched it on ABC. So oh, it, okay. it used to be in Comedy Central, and now they they have like the shiny new version on ABC. And uh, there are like four episodes in. This Sunday was the fourth episode, and I watched them on demand. And I was like, oh, because I had it playing on the background while I was writing stuff. It was not, I was not meant to pay attention to it. It was just like noise. And you got captivated. I got captivated. I, I wrote like two lines and then I was just watching these like little robots fighting each other. And, and I was really like, my hands were over my mouth and it, it was crazy. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is sports. I guess yep. This, yep, I guess this is sports. But yeah, um, not that they need me to promote BattleBots, but that is the thing that I have to say tonight. Uh, other than that, uh, you can... If you like the show, you should let us know. You can go to iTunes and find us. We're The Contrarians, obviously. Not The Contrarians Podcast. That's a podcast that has been dead for over a year. Yeah. I don't know why they're still there. But subscribe, rate us, uh, leave review. a nice comment. Yeah, a good review. Um, we are. We also have an email address if you want to email us your opinions. If you actually took offense. If you're Indian and you took offense to uh, Slumdog Millionaire, we'd really like to hear from you. Or if you took offense because you're white and you are angry that we talk about whitewashing here, uh, also let us know. Our email address is wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. And we have a website, which is wearethecontrarians.com. Yes. There... We'll be posting that screen cap of Latika that I was talking about. Yes, I'll probably use it for the the, the picture on the on the podcast. Perfect. And uh, SoundCloud, we're also on SoundCloud. Same thing, the Contrarians. Yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, I think we're running out of steam here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. So that's going to do it for us here on the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out, be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovniofilms. That's O-V-N-I-O films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created and written by The Contrarians' very own Julio Oliveira. Uh, Smart People is a great film, too. Bolt. Okay, when you're dragging up Bolt, you're Bolt's running out of fucking phenomenal. It's all right. Bolt. What is the last good non-Pixar Disney movie that was as good as Bolt? Uh, Wreck-It Ralph. I just fell into my own trap, right? <laughs> <there>. <laughs>